For us, promoting justice for all isn't just a slogan. It's a fundamental part of who we are. Since 1949, Hiscock Legal Aid Society has had thousands of people contribute to our organization's story. Here, you'll meet those who've supported our work, our clients, and have taught us a thing or two along the way. Welcome to the Justice for All Podcasts. So welcome to the Justice for All podcast. I'm Jason Toriano, the Director of Development and Communications at Hiscock Legal Aid Society. And I'm joined today by former board member, but currently awesome, still awesome person, Peg Cassidy. Peg, thanks for being here. Thanks, Jason. I'm glad to be here. So I'd like to, as we do on all of these podcasts, talk to you a little bit about your upbringing, some of the formative experiences you've had, your professional experience, and what Justice for All means to you. And so I had an opportunity to do a little bit of research. You're from central New York. I am. You went to Most Holy Rosary School. And you went on uh, after high school to go study at Fredonia. Right. Where you studied, if my research is right, you studied music education. I did. What prompted you to do that? Well, I had taken piano lessons since I was in second grade. And I loved it. And in the end, although I was initially thinking about genetics as a potential career, I just realized I couldn't live without music in my life, at that point at least, and so I decided to apply and audition for a spot in the music department at Fredonia. And you were you obviously did all of your undergraduate work at Fredonia. I did. What was the experience like going through a music education program at, at SUNY Fredonia? Well, it was actually a great program, um, had a good mix. It's a liberal arts college, obviously had a good mix of general studies, so outside the music department, which is now a music school, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, and a lot of courses within. And I had a vocal music concentration, even though I was a piano major. So I, my track, learned, you know, I learned how to conduct choruses and uh, work on vocal technique as opposed to orchestral, which okay. is what the other, most, most of the instrumentalists take the orchestral line. So what they did essentially was train me to teach music in a school anywhere from kindergarten through 12th grade. And I loved it, but I graduated from school at the time of Ronald Reagan, and Ronald Reagan wasn't big on extras. If you'll remember, mm -hmm. that was the time when he said ketchup was a vegetable. Yes. <laughs> so there wasn't a lot of funding for schools, and many of the people that I knew who graduated, if they got teaching jobs, they were teaching in multiple schools and essentially living out of their cars. And that didn't really appeal to me. So that's how I ended up deciding to do something else. I can understand why that would certainly not, not appeal to you, that sort of living out of one's car. The question that I have for you is, were you supported? Did you feel the support of your friends and family? Because oftentimes you hear when people decide to pursue a career in the arts, in theater, in music, people often say, are you sure you want to do this? Did you feel support from others when you said, I want to do this at Fredonia? You know, interestingly, um, I was the valedictorian of my high school, and so I think my parents thought I might do something more academically oriented, or at least in their minds. Uh, and my, my dad was a doctor, and my mom was a chemist. Okay. So a music degree seemed odd, but they were incredibly supportive. They never tried to direct their children into things they thought were appropriate. So we had, ran the gamut. I'm the youngest of five, and 
we ran the gamut in terms of what we studied in school. And maybe your research didn't tell you, but my sister, Frankie, was on Broadway. She was a musical theater major. Really? <laughs> yes. What did she do? She was in one of the theaters on Broadway. She was. She was in the... Um, when they remade Me and My Girl, she mm-hmm. was in the original Broadway cast. But she had been on the first national tour of Cats. She was wow. very she was an excellent dancer, had taken dancing her whole life. And so, so they were they already accustomed themselves to someone in the arts. Sure. So, so arts and, and theater run sort of in your family, it sounds like. Uh, I would tell you a funny story if we have time. We my, do. My, no. my mother had no musical talent whatsoever. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and her family really doesn't either. Okay. And so apparently she was bathing my two sisters and I all at the same time. I was two. Frankie was three and my sister Kate, who was a teacher, was uh, five. Right. And she was trying to teach us um, America the Beautiful or some uh, patriotic song and apparently I patted her cheek and looked at my sisters and said, poor mommy, she can't sing at all. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually right about that. <laughs> it sounds like it, yeah. And you decided to, to you know, uh, go to school for, for music education. And I, I actually was going to ask you a little bit about, because if the dates are right from what I've looked at, you entered law school sort of immediately after. Mm-hmm. You didn't take any time between. You went from undergrad right into Rutgers. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like the reason that you did that was because there wasn't a whole lot of funding for that sort of um, education when you graduated. Yeah, I was a little disenchanted with the job prospects. And I think by the time I actually graduated, I think I already knew that perhaps teaching would not be intellectually stimulating me for to, for me personally forever okay and I was thinking about it and I I had a friend who was my RA my freshman year in college and we had stayed friends throughout so she left my junior year she graduated and she uh, went to law school she called me up one day and said you should go to law school you'd be good at this and the reason she said that is because I had written a letter to the administration to get her out of a ticket for parking illegally <laughs> okay. on campus and so this is so um, embarrassing to admit, but I literally went and bought a book to study for the LSAT and took the test and went to law school <laughs> without any more foresight than that. Just sort of, I think my heart, I knew I, maybe something else would be better for me long term. And my parents weren't a bit surprised. <laughs> so, But it sounds like you were a little bit. A little bit. I mean, I didn't start out thinking I wouldn't be a music teacher. I love children. I love music. Um, I think I would have been happy as a music teacher. And if I could have had a job right away I might have done that Um, so and I've done a lot of my charitable work over the years has involved children and music so I try to make use of my music degree too sure now tell me was there any part of you at the end of your undergraduate degree and when you decided to go to law school those are seemingly I'm not a lawyer but those seem just like vastly different trajectories and I will say for myself I used to work in broadcast journalism, and when I sort of gave up on the idea of having a career in broadcast journalism, it hurt a little bit. When I, even as I pursued another path that ultimately made me much happier, saying, I actually don't want to do this anymore, for me, I had to sort of process that. Did you have anything like that when you decided to go in a different direction? Well, I, um, I had a good, I had to give a graduation recital on the piano. And my piano teacher made me feel very comfortable. I was a little embarrassed admitting it to her, thinking perhaps I'd wasted her time for four years teaching me how to play the piano better. And she was a great teacher. I loved her. And I told her I was going to go to law school. And she said, you know, she said, not everyone is going to be a performer, but 
to fill the auditoriums with people who love and appreciate and understand good music is just as important as having people perform. So she made me feel much more comfortable about it. And I really wasn't embarrassed. And I'll tell you one thing that was very helpful. Some people think music and theater are flighty degrees. There's a lot of work involved in those. Right. And I used to have to practice the piano for several hours a day, in addition to all the other instruments that I had to learn how to play, because in many schools, you're the only music teacher, so you have to do band and chorus. So they make you learn. Like I had to study violin, um, cello, string bass, flute, clarinet, um, oh. trombone and trumpet, so that you have some working knowledge and can teach children how to play them. Okay. So it's a lot of time in a practice room. And that I found was very helpful when it came time for law school because I didn't really have any trouble sitting and reading for hours on end, which is what law school does require. Sure. <laughs> you know, we'd often have 100 pages a night in a subject, so you'd have lots of reading to do every single night. And other people would get restless. Yeah. I never did. I just sat and read. So for me, it was a pretty easy transition. The hardest part was when I was doing job interviews because inevitably people said, how did you go from music to law? Sure. Well, I think that <laughs> makes it directly. Very, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you, you started talking about law school, which is something that I wanted to ask you. I've met many lawyers over the years who some really like practicing law, some were not crazy about practicing law. But something that I've seen that was relatively universal is people didn't love law school. Did you like going through law school? Was it enjoyable or was it just a box, several boxes that had to be ticked for you so that you could ultimately practice law? Um, I actually did like law school. I didn't like everything about it. And, um, you know, there were subjects that we had to take that I didn't like as well as others, but I found it very interesting. I found um, the way you're examined, at least when I was in school, now I think they do a little bit more practical stuff, but it was all essays and blue books and um, I was a good writer. That was one of my stronger points coming out of that Catholic school. We, mm -hmm. we learned a lot about grammar and sentence sure. construction and whatnot. And um, so I, I, I adapted well to that style of examination. And I always liked school, so I, I really didn't mind it. And I have you know, two of my very best friends to this day are my uh, roommates from law school. So That's great. I, uh, yeah, so I did, you know, I was happy to get done. Yeah. Uh, but I did actually kind of like it, truthfully. You're one of the few attorneys that I have met that has enjoyed the actual process of law school. I've heard so many people that, you know, many of whom still practice and really like practicing law, but weren't crazy about going through law school, but you enjoyed it. Well, I was a person who was always prepared. So if it meant staying up all night to be ready for the next day's classes, I stayed up all night. I think if I had not been prepared, I would not have enjoyed the experience because your professors expect you to be prepared. And it's embarrassing if you're called upon to speak yeah. and you're not. Sure. So I avoided that problem by just working very hard and making sure I was. And people always talk about how experiences can be transferable. And based on what you shared earlier, it sounds like the music education degree, having to learn all these instruments, having to be very studious, as you said, prepared you for some of what you'd have to do in law school in terms of the work ethic, in terms of the dedication, in terms of staying up all night if you have to, yeah. to be prepared. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, and I, I think one of my favorite courses that was not in the music department at Fredonia was logic. And one of the um, SUNY university-wide you know, professors who had won all sorts of awards was the teacher of logic in the philosophy department. Mm -hmm. And it was I loved that class, and that is very much what the kind of thinking 
that being a good lawyer takes, you know, to be able to work through those, you know, theorems of logic and everything. So um, I think my mind was kind of well suited to it anyway. Yeah. Did you know when you were going through law school the sort of law that you would like to practice when you left? No, I, I and I, my first class was civil procedure, and I remember thinking, they made a mistake, I don't belong here, I don't have a clue what they're talking about. You know, so never having been in a courtroom, my dad was not a lawyer, my right. mom wasn't a lawyer, and so I was scared. But then as I got, you know, I realized everybody else was too, they didn't, nobody knew anything unless they happened to have been a paralegal or something before sure. they went. And so I, I originally thought, because I had done well in moot court with my partner, and I had done um, well in trial advocacy, and my professor of that was a public defender actually in Philadelphia. And he said to me, you must be in front of a jury. You have such excellent rapport with people. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to be a litigator. Okay. Until I got to Bunch, Hennig and King, where I practiced for over 20 years. Yeah. And I, I, I realized that litigation was nothing like what trial advocacy or moot court was like. Uh, you, you know, often the attorneys there, and I, I have so much admiration for them, they'd have to answer the calendar call and they, they'd have to respond to motions. A lot of times they were colleagues' cases, so they didn't even know what it was about. They'd be right. flipping through the papers on their way over, and I'm like, oh, I don't have the stomach for this at all. Yeah. <laughs> so I realized pretty early on that wasn't for me. And you said that you worked at, at Bonchenik and King for about two yeah. decades. Mm -hmm. As somebody who has worked both uh, in a large firm in, in Syracuse, um, and also for a health plan uh, based in Syracuse as well. For people who might be listening who are considering law school, who are considering working in a firm, what did you learn by working? Let's start first with Bond. By working at a firm, what did you learn and what do you think people should know who might be considering going to a firm, not necessarily Bond, but any firm, about the practice of law? What lessons did you learn through those two decades? The first thing, when people ask me about going to law school, I always say to them, if you're not prepared for the amount of work you really have to do to get a job like I got at Bonchenik and King, and that's what you want, don't do it. Because it does take, you know, Bonchenik and King takes highest graduates from mm -hmm. schools and, it, you know, people who have been, I was on Law Review, I mean, people who have yeah. had those kind of experiences. And so, and they anticipate that that's the kind of work you're going to be performing while you're there. So it is, you know, it was more than, I mean, the first week they told the new attorneys, you're a Bonchenik and King lawyer 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We don't expect to need all that. Yeah. But don't forget that that's what you are. And so and that meant, too, you know, not going out and being embarrassing in public, you know, at a bar or whatever. Do You know, just the comportment. Yeah. And, um... I will tell you, the attorneys there were fantastic. They were so bright, and I learned so much from them, and very giving in terms of their willingness to work with young attorneys and help young attorneys. They had a training program, so I was able to rotate through all the departments before I actually identified the ones I thought might be of most interest to me. And inevitably, the attorneys were wonderful, and I, I'm still friends with many of them today. Did you find when you were at uh, a firm you hear about, I hear about it mostly with accounting and law. You said that, you know, you're a, you're a bond attorney 24-7. Mm -hmm. Did you find that people, the work-life balance issue is often spoken about with law firms. Did you find that it was very difficult to have a life outside of the firm, particularly in the first few years? Or were you able to go play the piano uh, 
I did play the piano, I, and I, I sang in my church choir, um, so I would be out and about doing that sometime. You know, did we have to work hard? Yes. I often worked on the weekends, and then it was very commonplace for lawyers to be in the office on a Saturday or a Sunday, usually Saturday. Um, and it's a time to get your papers reorganized for the next week and finish up things. Um, so, I mean, I did have a life. I ran for a number of years there when I was younger for fun. Yeah. Um, I didn't find that to be a problem, but I wasn't married and had a family at that time. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you say the accountant at the time I was dating an accountant who was working in New York City and yeah. didn't last long. That was that was hard. I dated one of those too, and it didn't last ultimately. So yeah, the commuting you know was very difficult, and yeah. one would call and say, "You're supposed to come here, but I, you know, can you, you know, or vice yeah. versa? I'm supposed to go there, but I can't. Can you come here?" And we couldn't do that. It just didn't work, unfortunately. Yeah. No, I but, hear I I had a similar experience with an accountant in New York City. <laughs> so you stayed for two decades mm -hmm. at Bond. And then you went to a health plan here in Syracuse. Why the? What prompted you to to make that transition? Well, um, is it okay to say where I worked? You, I worked I, for Excellus Blue Cross Blue Shield yes. for the next seventeen years of my career, and I um, they were a client. I had done a tremendous amount of work for them, and they had wanted in-house counsel. And my colleague and mentor, really at Bond, Catherine Richardson, who was just mm -hmm. phenomenal. She um, had gone over, she was still a partner at the firm, but going every day, and she was retiring. So my option, they wanted me to come as her successor, and the option, I knew that if I did not, they would hire someone else, and so that could have jeopardized the amount of work the firm was doing and also my own work. So I loved working with them. Um, I had worked with them for so long, I knew many of the people in the organization. So I made that decision to go ahead and go with the firm support. And I guess the question that I would have for you then is, with the firm support, you went to Excellus, you spent 17 years at Excellus. You talked a little bit about what you learned at Bond, sort of in those formative initially, well, you were there for two decades, but at the beginning, what you learned from some of the other lawyers there, and then as you progressed with your career at Bond. And then you made this transition to Excellus. Were there new lessons that you learned along the way at Excellus that you could share? Sure. Uh, working in-house is different from working outside, you know, as an outside counsel. And they're both really interesting and exciting, but the difference is this. When you're in-house, you are part of the team that's making a decision, and they look to you. You're the, like, you do the more emergency work, like the day-to-day. Mm -hmm. the -day. When there's something really big that requires a lot of research or Write a long paperwork, a lot of paperwork or cases. At least at Excellus, we sent the work out, and a lot of times we would send it back to Bond for our assistance. So, you, you know, you're you're right there on the spot, and I had to get accustomed. And you know, when you're outside, you can give this opinion, but they make the decision inside, sure. and inside, they're looking to you. And you know, nobody's a god, right? You yeah. just have to do the best you can, and it's a little bit scarier in certain respects from that angle. And sometimes, you know, your client doesn't really want to do what you're suggesting might be the safest course of action. And so you have to work kind of hard to get them. You have to be very creative to say, okay, let's not talk about what you can't do here. Let's talk about where you want to go. And let's see if there's a way that can get you there that's safer from a legal perspective. So I liked that about it. Yeah. Um, and I, I found that to be a new challenge, a new type of challenge. Did you find that it got easier because you said when you were 
at Bond, it was very different than the sort of experience, obviously, being in-house at Excellus and with the people looking to you to make a decision or to, yeah, to, it sounds like the relationship was different when you were in-house versus outside. Mm-hmm. And you said that being in-house was a little challenging. Did it get easier over the years in terms of... Yes, but inevitably, I mean, there, everything is new always, you know, you and um, Excellus is a large corporation, so many departments, different kinds of work coming at you from all different directions, and I loved that part of it, nothing, never boring, never, yeah. ever boring, and, but, um, you know, there were always things where you'd kind of swallow and say, okay, here's my advice, but you pray it's going to be the right advice, yeah. you know, so, um, you know, I was a pretty cautious person, but you have to learn not to be too cautious and try to help the client get where they want to be, or your company. So, yeah, it did get a little easier. Your frame of reference gets a lot bigger the longer you practice. Sure. And I always, you know, a lot of people think, well, you have the same degree as someone who's a second-year lawyer. Why should you get that much more money, for example, just to be crass? But, you know, and and the fact of the matter is you become a better lawyer the longer you practice and the more experiences you have because you have more to analogize to. Your frame of reference is much larger. And your judgment does improve. With age, you know, not not to say new attorneys aren't great at what they do too, but you you've seen so much more in your life as you get older. That's the way I look at it. Um, No disrespect to the young attorneys, I certainly won myself. Sure. And um, but I remember thinking sometimes you'd offer you know what you think the answer is to something, and one of the older attorneys would come back and say, "Did you think about this? Did you think about that? How does this law interact with that law?" And you realize. I don't know any of this stuff. And so that's why I say I learned so much working with so many experienced attorneys at Bond and was so glad to have that background when I went in-house. That, that, and that brings us to you talked about Bond, you talked about your time at Excellus, and you are fairly recently retired. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. What is this new chapter bringing for you? You know, um, I like not having quite so much stress. Being a lawyer, being a good lawyer means you're responsible for an awful lot of stuff all the time and you can't really say, okay, I'm done for the day. You know, it sits there and you've got stuff that's due and things you're worried about. And it it can create a lot of stress if you do it right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, so getting relieved of some of that stress was very nice for me. I was happy to give that up. I miss my colleagues. at Excellus, I you know great people, great company to work for. Um, I do get I, I work with Bond a little bit because they have an arm that's for assistance for employees. So they have an um, an employee assistance fund there, and it's not for profit. And so the the board is made up of retirees and me. Okay. <laughs> so I do get to see my my friends from there too uh, occasionally. So that I like. But um, what I do now, I find I have more time. I do a lot of volunteer driving for an organization called Sarah's Guest House, oh, which is similar to Ronald McDonald House, but okay. for adult patients and families of adult patients. Okay. And I find, and I actually at Bond, I organized them. We did it, you know, pro bono. But um, I, I found that the driving patients to and from the hospitals gives me an opportunity to have kind of one-on-one. And I, I find my health insurance background very helpful because a lot of times they're struggling with you know, insurance companies, and I can offer a little suggestion. So it's like a 10-minute counseling session, taking them back and forth. I I do quite a bit of driving for them. I really like that. I was going to say that, uh, two things I was going to say. I think as it relates to 
um, people wanting to understand how to navigate the health insurance world. You could have a totally new career just advising people because I think many people are in that position. And then the second question that I have is, you seem very much, based on what you've shared here, and I've known you for several years, you served on our board, to be very much a people person. And I guess I would, the question that I have as it relates to that is, was it hard working through the pandemic as somebody who's a people person Mm -hmm. and who I would imagine prior to the pandemic was around people and interacting with people sort of not doing that for several years? Yeah, it was hard. Um, especially at first, people, a lot of people, well, at the very first, when they, we got sent home, essentially, the company didn't have enough bandwidth for everybody to be on Zoom, you know, pick, we used Teams, but not everybody could be on camera at the same time because they, and they quickly expanded their capabilities. The IT department had to do a lot of work at the beginning to get everybody home and working well. And at first, some people wouldn't put their cameras on. Mm-hmm. And I did find, I missed... You know, as a lawyer, I look at people's eyes, I look at their body language to try to see, are they telling me everything I need to know here? Are they afraid? Is there something wrong? You know, and I miss being able to get those cues, uh, visual cues. And I did miss my colleagues, you know. You know, I would see them every day. We would have lunch, you know, and and I was was glad I didn't live alone. My husband was home also, Mm -hmm. so um, that was nice to have someone at home. Yeah. Uh, because I and I feel for people who are alone and who were working alone during the pandemic I would have gone crazy alone me too I just I do love people I me love too. talking to people and I and I find it very important part for me I would not want to retire and just be home alone never doing anything my mother was a teacher for many years and retired and had to sort of figure out what her next chapter would be and she volunteers in a number of places now as well because I know for her that was also not an option, just being at home, uh, you know, after she retired. The other question that I had for you, so you served on our board for many years, mm-hmm. and you have talked about sort of the outside of law, like some of the passions that you have for different organizations. Why the Legal Aid Board? I always knew about it. Um, I, and there were folks at the firm, of course, George Lowe and Catherine Richardson have both served and. Um, we were, I think the firm, we, we would try, they encouraged us to be generous to the organization. And in part, I thought, always thought about the fact that I was very lucky working for a place like Bond. And New York does not have mandatory pro bono service for lawyers. And so I always wanted to be able to do something that could help, even though my, my areas of law would, were not really conducive to working at, at uh, ISCAC. But I always wanted to help the organization if I could. I admired um, then president and CEO Susan Horn I knew and um, I thought the organization did fabulous work and it was so important in our community so in my mind I always thought before I retire I'd like to go on that board mm-hmm. and um, so when I was invited I, I accepted. And you say and I agree with you that it's so important in mm-hmm. the community but I want to ask you why? Why do you think it is so important to have an organization like Legal Aid in Syracuse? Well I'll tell you um, when you drive through Syracuse and you see so many people on the street corners asking for money and you read the statistics about how poor the city is and you, you any kind of work that you do that involves people who are less advantaged than I was, um, it's hard not to, if you're, you know, have any charitable bones in your body, it's hard not to feel that there are those in need 
and Hiscock helps those in need. And even when I do this volunteer driving, there are you know several of the patients they're at Sarah's guest house because they can't afford to stay in a hotel or you know it's um and they need help and they and they would be people who would be taking some of them certainly would be people who could could qualify for assistance from from Hiscock and um I think I just would like to do what I can to help. My mm -hmm. parents were charitable mm -hmm. and my dad was very instrumental in the formation of the Brady Faith Center worked with Monsignor Brady down in the south side there. Yeah. And he was a doctor. Yeah. But um, I guess I just grew up thinking that we should help, especially if you're as lucky as I was in my life. And yeah. I do believe I was lucky. Um, it's good to help others who are not quite as lucky. Sure. The last question that I have for you is one of the taglines that we've sort of adopted over the years is justice for all. It's one of the sort of key events that we do every year. It sort of runs through our veins here at his Cockley Lane Society. I guess the question that I have for you is, what does justice for all mean to you? To me, it means access to the legal services of our community or the, you know, the court system and, and zealous representation, no matter how poor you are or no matter how little you know about how the system works and not being disadvantaged by poverty or you know, in terms of how you're treated in the legal system. And not just legal, but you know, I, I see. Um, it's. I'm sorry to say this, on. I have seen um, people that I've been driving to the hospital who are struggling to get their care scheduled, and I I suspect that there might be something that has to do with the fact that they are not able to push their way into the system a little bit. They don't have an advocate, so I think advocacy is incredibly important, and I think that's where. Hiscock Legal Aid comes in and does so much to open access to people who would otherwise maybe not be able to successfully maneuver through the legal system. And hey, so many things involve the legal system, right? Right. Hey, Cassidy, thank you very much for joining us on Justice for All today. It was a pleasure having you. It was a pleasure to be here. Good to see you again. You too. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about our work, head over to hlalaw.org. See you next time.